Try that again. It's just, it lacks so much energy. What's up? What's yeah. up? See how much life that had. Now we're just exaggerated excitement here on a Friday. Oh, you want exaggerated excitement? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> when I joined the like pre call for the Rubber Duck Dev show the other night, Chris, one of the hosts, had the most jubilant welcome. And I was just like, hello. I felt so bad. It was so much energy and I had so much not. Yeah, it was fun watching that. I enjoyed tuning into the live stream and then I forget Brooke got home and then she also started trolling in the chat. (laughs) Yeah, I saw Brooke arrive. I knew it was my time to talk about (laughs) project management. (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny because like Monday she started her new job at a Fortune 50 company and here it is. She works in the opposite corporate side of things and I'm over here with just pretty much me and Colin most days and you know that's about it that's funny like just the differences between all those and she's like you don't know what your metrics are and I'm like I don't need to know (laughs) not knowing your metrics is a metric Hmm. how many days in a row have you not checked your (laughs) metrics is the metric (laughs) and Completely unrelated note, I tried to buy, you might need jQuery.com, but somebody already took it and it's just, I guess, sitting on it. So you... Why? No, no, no. You need to... Why? Why did you want to buy that? Because last week when we were recording, I think it was when we were recording, you dropped in the chat the you might not need jQuery.com. Yes. And I thought, I kind of want to buy you might need jQuery and just like troll. (laughs) I like it. I just have examples of how to do... The vanilla JavaScript stuff and convert it to JPEGs. <laughs> Look at all the characters I'm not typing. Stuff like that. <laughs> but it's probably for the best. It's probably good that someone already bought it. Why are you laughing? I was imagining you taking you might not need jQuery.com and taking all their examples, reversing them <laughs> and just posting that. Oh, you know it would be great. You just do like a CSS transform to limit <laughs> reverse. Yeah, reverse the flex order. Just copy their HTML, don't even write your own. That's a pro move. I might still do that. Yeah, just slap a CSS line on their site in an iframe. That's all you need. That's your whole website. I bet (laughs) you might still need jQuery.com is available. I know what I'm doing during this episode. Or or let's just make it a fact. You need jQuery. You need jQuery.com. I'm going to look it up right now. jQuery. Andrew, you saying that every time you talk about doing something during the episode, I think about the time we recorded the Laravel episode with Taylor Otwell, and you didn't say a word the whole time at the end. You were like, I've just been trying to install Docker this whole time. Yeah, I'm trying to install PHP <laughs> without Docker. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. You need jQuery.com. It's thinking. It's thinking. Oh, it's available. Oh, no. It's happening. Shout out to Jason's weekend, which has just been obliterated. I can't wait for this to go out and someone goes to it and it's still nothing. It's just, this is a great idea waiting to happen. All right. Well, tell me something good. Then we'll move on. The sun is shining. The tank is clean. What the hell does Wait, the tank is clean. I don't know what that means. Y'all have never seen Finding Nemo? It's been a long time. It has been a while. I'll have to get that watch again. Did you have one of the best movies? 
There's Nemo fish at the St. Louis Aquarium. I know that because they told us that. Clownfish, I believe they're called. Well, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Your excuse. <laughs> did she, did you, you even learn anything at the aquarium? <laughs> I was too busy petting swordfish or whatever it was. St. Louis is abounding in swordfish bedding. Their zoo has it. Their aquarium has it. Their McDonald's has it. There's just there's swordfish <laughs> bedding all over that city. Andrew, did you ever watch Beavis and Butthead? Maybe like one episode. My old swim coach used to call me Beavis. Oh, dang. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking about that because we always talk about shows you either couldn't watch or shows that wouldn't have been socially relevant to you. And there's, a, I think, like a new one on Paramount Plus. And I thought, I bet Andrew doesn't know about that. Yeah, I didn't think it was that funny. I think it's kind of like King of the Hill humor where it was like, yeah, it's funny, oh, just you annoying. You don't like King of the Hill humor? No, I actually do like King of the Hill. But it's just like that old style of animation and the characters are like sometimes more annoying than they need to be. Mm-hmm. I don't it's know. It's like this podcast. I like South Park, though. I know you do. Yeah, I love South Park. When we were in Vegas, I think you told me that's all you watched. For a couple of months, yeah. All right, well... This isn't very exciting. Let's move on. So today we have, excuse me, it's always exciting to talk to you, Andrew. I'm the not exciting one today. Today we have Sebastian. If you're not familiar with, you've at least maybe seen their work with Hanami Mastery floating around. I see it on Reddit. I see it on Twitter. I see it all over the place. Sebastian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. It's super awesome to be here. I think there's a lot of Ruby content for us to dig in today. But before we get into that, do you maybe mind just giving us a quick intro, explaining maybe how long you've been doing Ruby and even where Hanami Mastery came from? Okay. I'm a Ruby developer since 10 years or so. I can't say at my beginnings, I wasn't a full developer really, but just tried things out. But overall, my journey with Ruby is around 10 years. And currently I'm working with Hanami in Ascenda loyalty engine. This is the loyalty calculations company. And I'm on the reporting part of that project when I'm doing a lot of data processing. So this is about my like full-time job and like a side project. Yes, I'm doing the Hanami mastery blog sort of things and things how it started were pretty crazy. Since the last year, I was a full-time rights-only developer. I have like eight years of rights experience and few months of Hanami experience. But so yeah, don't confuse Hanami master with me being master. (laughs) Sure. So you were doing Rails before your previous part of your career. Yes, yes. And I think I got a little bit bored with it. But the thing is that in our previous company, we experienced some troubles with RISE, with RISE MVC architecture and not knowing where to put the code and a lot of coupling by default, which happened when the project grew on. And I joined to the project, especially to improve the overall architecture, the file structure, the code base, split it later into the microservices because it was like whole big monolith. And we tried several approaches where to put things, how to improve the quality of our code. And we started using a lot of dry libraries. We tried Trailblazer as well, but that didn't work out. 
And after a few years, two years of doing this, improving it, we actually went very proud of ourselves, like the whole team, because our application started to look great, working great, and people who joined really started to quickly gain the speed and be effective without messing with other parts of the system too much. And we started wondering if other people in Ruby community also have this problem. I know that we probably should start from that, but... Yeah. <laughs> but it appears that other people had the problem and to this extent that they started writing on frameworks like Roda and Hanami. And this is how I got to know about Hanami. And my friend, my teammate actually showed me Hanami 1, uh, the first version that, that is out there for a few years. And I tried to play with it, but there were few caveats with it. A lot of manual work and configuration needed to be done. And it was not possible to ever convince my rights team to switch. <laughs> but then I realized that Hanami 2 is under the developments and this is a whole framework rewrite. And I started to playing with this one and I convinced my client to give me a green light to try it out in one of my, our new microservices. And I created a very little API service in Hanami 2 development version. It was awesome. And I fell in love with it, but I decided to not go with it in our project just yet because it was too early. The community was too small. There were no learning resources. The API was not stable yet. It was development still. And even though I was hyped about Hanami, it was not easy to make my team be hyped as well, especially without learning resources, without documentation ready, without community stack overflow or anything. And not everyone is senior. So not everyone could actually learn from reading the code or tests or whatever. So I started reaching out to the core team and realized that the framework is even better than I thought. And the whole philosophy, how they approach things were very much in sync with what we tried to achieve within our rights monolith. And it was awesome. I really wanted this project to succeed, but I realized that it would be very hard without any learning resources. And I noticed that there are great developers working on Hanami up then, but they have their own full-time jobs. They have their own families and producing content, learning content is so time consuming that it's already amazing that they put their efforts to code open source and create so, so great projects. But there is no way that they will be able to anytime soon create any screencasts or blog articles for the community. So I decided to jump in, ask the team if they actually need that. I met warm welcome because this kind of work was very much needed. They really struggled with finding time for documenting stuff and creating resources, learning resources for the project. And I started to run a blog about Hanami, just like that. That's awesome. So I want to back up a little bit, maybe start with DryRB, because you mentioned that you were bringing a lot of those libraries into Rails and that you got to a point where you were proud of what y'all were doing with those libraries and within Rails. 
what were some of the problems you were solving with TryRB? And what specific maybe TryRB libraries were you using? So I know that Active Model has its own validation that can be extracted out of the Active Record. And we can validate models without coupling to the tables. But in our case, we needed to validate hashes and arrays. And it was extremely problematic to do such things in Active Model. And dry validation actually solves a lot of problems related to validations without any caveats. So uh, that was our starting point. And when we introduced that, we started to learn about uh, dry schemas and dry structs, which actually supports typed input. And that proved to be very useful over time. So we just slowly started to build from there. The next step to untangle our code was to try and introduce the service object pattern or interactor or whatever you call it. And we figured out that Dry also had the great library that helps with it. And it was Dry Monads. Then we learned about Monads when we could very much simplify our workflows in our system and reduce the coupling hell we had before and improve the reliability to not experience unexpected undefined metal errors anymore when we always return success or failure and we were able to reliable handle all the failures that we had in the system. So those were some of the problems we had. Sure. Yeah, that's really helpful. And for anyone who is maybe unfamiliar with the dry RB, when we say that it's kind of a, an umbrella project, dry RB is of a bunch of libraries for Ruby that are inspired by kind of functional programming techniques, but also just a way to write kind of simpler Ruby code, at least conceptually. Maybe it comes with a little bit of extra boilerplate, but dry validation is actually the first thing I experimented with as well, because I struggled with getting nested validations in Rails. So I could validate if I accepted nested attributes because Rails knows how to like traverse that chain and look at the validations on the related model. But I can't remember the exact use case I had, but I remember reaching for dry validation because it was able to do these kind of advanced validations with nested data. And I combined it with dry schema and kind of defined like a schema of what the param should look like. And I ended up with kind of like a form object that did validation of params. And I loved it. It was a lot of fun. The other one you mentioned too, that I don't have a lot of experience with, but I'm always interested in. I know a lot of people don't like monads, but I do think it's fascinating. The idea that you can perform something and then ask like, okay, or tell it really just like on success, perform this on failure, perform this without necessarily a bunch of conditional logic either. You just kind of like calling the result. I think it's really fascinating. Yeah. And, and the funniest stuff is that Trailblazer, for example, is a whole business domain framework, which uses the same concepts that we did by introducing dry monads. And dry monads is very rich in feature gem and allows to do crazy amount of stuff. But we used it in a pretty much basic level 
just leveraging the results and some labs. But yeah, just wanted to point it out. Yeah, no, that's great. Whether US East 1 is down or you forgot to add a configuration file, everyone has an outage from time to time. When your next outage occurs, transparency is critical. The difference between a minor annoyance that people soon forget and a fiasco that creates sustained resentment is in how you communicate. That's why you need Honey Badger. Honey Badger will be a crucial component of your incident response plan with their uptime monitoring service that now has an exciting new feature, public status pages. Create a new status page with custom domains, branding, and more. Don't let Twitter be the only way your users can find out if your app is down. Sign up for Honey Badger to improve your incident response with a shiny new status page that you will be proud to show your users. Visit honeybadger.io and start giving your users a better experience today and let them know Remote Ruby sent you. Thanks to Honey Badger for their continued support of Remote Ruby. So moving on from dry, let's talk about Hanami a little bit. What's your experience been like so far? Did you find it easy to get up to speed coming with the Rails background or was it kind of a shift in thinking? Oh, definitely there was a shift in thinking. And I published several articles and videos even about the differences and the mapping the framework to each other, like what in Rails means what in Hanami. So for example, how to understand the contracts, which is the validation abstraction and where this is put in Rails, for example, and how you have controllers in Rails and each of method is an action, but in Hanami, each of action is just a separate file and you don't really have controllers, you just have actions and things like that. So this was a lot of mind shift. And for example, like in, in our daily flow, so I needed to switch my workflow from working with bigger files, less files, but bigger's which contain multiple methods into a system where I have way more files with just few or just one method. So it is a bit of a shuffling between files instead of shuffling within the file between methods and jumping around within the single contents. Yeah, that is a big shift. So for those not familiar with Anami, I assume this is the case in version two, but in version one, like in a Rails controller, let's say like a post controller, you, a standard CRUD controller, REST controller, whatever you want to call it, has like index, new, show, create, edit, update, destroy. And that's all in one file. In Hanami, basically like your post controller, like it's basically a post namespace and each controller action is its own class where it's like an action. So it's like post create, post new. It's really fascinating because the little I've done with experiencing with Hanami, I found it conceptually easier when they were broken down that way. I found it a little easier like to test them, things like that. And yeah, that is one of those big shifts. Another thing I like about that as well is, at least when I used it last, the way you access params, this is like a small thing, but like params actually come through the method as an argument. It's not like this kind of implicitly available thing. And that also, another thing with that is, I remember Hanami encouraging validations happening in actions at the controller level versus the model level. I really like that approach. I know Laravel does that as well because it makes sense that I would want to validate my data at that level. Hey, before I do anything else, like you've given me bad data, like you can't use this. I think that's cool as well. What are some of the other maybe shifts in thinking you found with Hanami? Well, definitely the dependency injection is heavily used and evangelized in Hanami, which is not so popular in Rise. 
for me, it was not a big shift because I had that at the university up then. And I kind of missed it for a while when I worked with Rails. But in recent years, we actually shifted into using heavily dependency injection within our Rails project. So it was not so much shift for me. But definitely the functional way of doing things and paying attention to not having global state and not work or avoid working with the stateful objects. So for example, in Rails, usually you have an object that contains a state, usually work with models that you can update, you can change their current state so they are mutable. And in Hanami, this is completely shifted around. They have a clear separation between objects that contain data and those are immutable structs that you can only initialize, but you don't override the attributes. And then you have the objects or functions that modify that data. And this is clear separation. But the biggest change for me and challenge for me was to switch from active record to ROM because Hanami uses ROM as the ORM and to work with databases and rise active record. And I was very much used to work with active record objects. And there is a funny test that was very popular a few years ago if you are a Ruby or Rise developer. And at the beginnings, I constantly started using methods that just not, don't exist in Ruby <laughs> because they were coming from active support or active record itself. And it was just this minor things that slowed me down. But overall, I find working with Hanami very similar to working with Rise. They have generators, they have similar concepts. There are just differences, but a lot of similarities as well. But it was a bit slowdown for me because suddenly I needed to learn how to call the find method. And I started to revisiting documentation and Stack Overflow like more than I usually do during the day. <laughs> and that was a slowdown for me for sure. But the ROM change from active record to ROM, I find the most challenging, the biggest difference. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, because when you say even like, how do I find something? It's not even just like going saying like model.find. Like you mentioned, like it's separated out between like persistence and data. So it's like you have usually some kind of wrapper that calls a function that knows how to find the record. And that is a shift for me. Yeah, so this is the crucial part. In Rise, you have model that initializes the record, validates the record, runs the callbacks, fetches the record, saves and updates to the database and a lot of other things as well. And in Hanami, you have the entity that contains the data and this is immutable. You don't update it at all. And you have the relations, which are reflections of your tables and you have repositories, which defines the method to come to operate with database and validations are also extracted away. But I found it very cool for some reason. One of the reasons was that when you are using ROM, the n plus one query problem does not exist at all. You really 
really need to try to implement N plus one query problem in your project. And that was kind of mind blowing. I started to figure, thinking how the hell they solve this problem if we have tons of gems dedicated to find N plus one query problems in RISE and nobody ever just solved it in RISE. And that was mind blowing for me. <laughs> yeah. I think recently there was a petition to Rails where you can actually tell it to not allow N plus one. It's like basically requiring you to preload associations, things like that. I haven't used it because, well, reasons that I won't get into. Yeah, it is definitely a fascinating shift. So I also want to talk a little about your experience with Hanami Mastery because creating content is a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of work. And so did you have any prior experience creating programming content before Hanami Mastery? Yes, I do. Hanami Mastery is actually my fourth blog. Okay. So it's not like I just started to write and I just, and everything went smoothly. I started my first blog in high school, which I closed because I published a content that may hurt some teachers that I didn't like. But then I started working as a freelancer and I immediately opened a blog related to my company. It was in Polish, a blog in Polish language. And then I learned that you cannot blog for Ruby. A lot of like 99% of the community just reads and writes and search for the stuff in English. And you have some Polish articles. I was writing articles in Polish, but I searched for anything in English and that was kind of frustrating. So after a while, I started the third blog, which was just a random name. I blogged about the Ruby and just some of my experiences. And this one I did in English. So this was my first um, English applications. During that time, I started to record my first IELTS course on Udemy. And that was the Rise API course that I managed for a few years. And that was the real first experience related to the screencasting and recording videos and publishing the content for real. So that was my experience. Then I started the Hanami Mastery and because I had no time for anything else, I just dropped it at the previous project. How has the response been to starting a Hanami focused content site? In terms of like, have you seen a steady of amount of folks interested in that type of content, things like that? Well, yes. And I'm extremely positively surprised and I cannot come down yet. Previously, I blogged for the whole Ruby community and I worked with about Rise because I worked for Rise project, but none of my articles ever reached the engagement or sharing counts or view counts that bigger than my Hanami Mastery episodes, especially those related to dry because this is pretty popular. But I started doing that with clear mission. I really wanted this project to succeed and I wanted to support open source developers, open source maintainers, help the people to easier publish more content in the future. But I was very unsure how things will look like. And 
because the Hanami community is so small at the moment, it was a big risk for me and it still is. But I did not start this project for the immediate success or immediate benefits. Since the beginning, it was just a marathon. And my first goal I put for myself is to publish 100 YouTube videos. And then I evaluate if this project makes sense. And I tried to publish like a weekly episodes, but if you think about it, I have 36 episodes published in a year. So I, yeah, I cannot keep up with the weekly content publications yet. This is too much for me, but I'm going there. Yeah. So definitely I am surprised. Like my, my Hanami Mastery episodes were featured several times in the Ruby Weekly and a lot of people just started linking to my blog for no reason. But there was very positive feedback from the community itself. Like people started thanking me, sending thanks to me. And I was extremely surprised, for example, when I published the second video and I got my first GitHub sponsor. And that started supporting my work because they just lived with the mission I do. And that was extremely motivating. So yeah, I'm surprised like crazy and I don't know. Okay, put it this way. I thought I know something about content publication because it was my first blog, but it appears that I don't know anything. And that is pretty funny. That's like the story of my life. An important thing also I want to bring up for maybe those who aren't aware, DryRB and Hanami are pretty closely related because parts of Hanami previously, like the Hanami models and entities were built on top of ROM, but Hanami 2, actually two of the DryRB maintainers, Tim Riley and Peter Tolica are working on Hanami 2, like actually helping design kind of how the framework will look like. And so these two things are pretty closely related. And I mentioned that because I think it helps that you have done content on DryRB because it is easier for people to tinker with DryRB than it is Hanami. Like you could bring DryRB, some of those libraries into a Rails app, like you were talking about, where it's harder if you already have a Rails app to uproot and go to Hanami. So I think that's also really engaging content as well. It's pretty pragmatic for me. The reason why I'm doing it is pretty pragmatic. At the beginning, it was very hard for me to collect ideas. I had no audience. I did not know about Hanami itself. It was just a, me freshly getting into the project. So I needed some system to generate ideas. And I was lucky because Hanami is a project that is umbrella under three gem families. And as you said, one is ROMRB, one is DryRB, and one is Hanami itself, which contains multiple gems under their hood. And it was awesome because for free, I got 100 ideas. I just need to record episode about each of those gems. And this is how I started. <laughs> and I didn't want to write too much about Hanami because I started when it was in development yet. So a lot of API changed over time. And it's extremely hard to edit, publish the videos. Articles you can update, but when you publish videos, people just started screaming to you that it's updated, nothing is working and things like that. So I started from the most stable gems, which is the dry RP family, then ROM family, and then Hanami. 
from time to time, just switching the content and publishing something from each of the gem families. That is pragmatic, smart. I think also something like Konami Mastery is needed in order to help more people even just be aware of Hanami, play with Hanami on a side project, something like that, because it is a really cool framework. And I think it just needs, I don't know, it needs a little more exposure. I've seen some conversations on Twitter about like, it's not Hanami trying to like compete with Rails. It's just an alternative that exists for people. And I think if more people saw that framing as well, they could see more adoption. What are some of your thoughts on helping Hanami succeed in the Ruby ecosystem? Well, I totally agree that this is alternative because if you have only one framework to work with, for example, you cannot work with object programming because you come from Elixir. You will have a really hard time. But when you come from Elixir with some functional knowledge, it's extremely simple to start with Hanami. So switching between those technology is way easier. So we can actually get more new and fresh members in the Ruby community because we have now an alternative rise for people who just want to code in different style and with different programming patterns. And this is awesome. But the nice thing about Hanami is that it is designed in the way that each component is completely framework agnostic and self-contained. So you can switch view layer if you don't need it. You can just exclude it. And you can also do it the same for the whole persistence layer. They don't need to include ROM. I think it is possible to use active record if you really want inside of Hanami. And you can even mount the Hanami applications into Rails if you want, because they are just rack compatible. But if there is only one thing that bothers you in the Rails applications, for example, you have too much logic in views. You can use Hanami view just to fix that problem and don't care about the whole framework. So this is extremely nice. And this is where Hanami can get the wider adoption because it's so elastic in injecting into other projects or even gems. Definitely. Chris, Andrew, before we wrap up, anything dry Hanami related you want to talk about? Not for me. I haven't actually really explored any of this stuff myself. So, I mean, it's one for my to-do list and to dig into Hanami and a lot of the dry stuff I've heard and seen and read the like readme's, but never actually used it in an application. So I think that is on my agenda. I've used some of them. I really like them. I've never used them in Rails or anything. I've just kind of used them when building gems or side stuff, but... Now, I think now I'm kind of interested to try it again. I fell in love with Hanami because there was very simple but lovely feature, which is not loading everything by default. For example, when my rights projects grow to some extent, I figure out that my test starts to slow down and the opening the Hanami con the, the rice console actually slows down. And in Hanami, because of how it loads files, this is not a problem at all. No matter how big my project is, I never have slow opening of the Hanami console. It's always just 
as fast as just writing IRB in the terminal. And the same appears to working with RSpec, which is extremely awesome for me because I, I love TDD and I'm just doing testing a lot. And that was just this final thing that actually made me switch. <laughs> That's awesome. Where are some places people can find you online? I'm pretty much everywhere. The hanamimaster.com is the good starting point and I'm very active on Twitter as well. So those two communities are where you can find me the easiest way. Awesome. Well, appreciate you taking time to join us and talk about Hanami and Dry and Ruby and all the fun things. And appreciate you putting out more Ruby content. No one will ever say no to that. Thank you very much. And Chris, if I would occasionally, very occasionally reach out to you for getting some advice in for sure production. <laughs> yeah. Would you mind? Absolutely. It's always great to see more screencasters and anything I can do to to help there. I'm more than happy to. So yeah, keep up the work and good luck with everything and just keep it going. It's just one of those content hamster wheels that you got to just show up every week and publish stuff. All right. Well, we'll pick this up next week. Have a good week. All right. See you. Bye. Bye. Bye.